Imagine, if you will, taking a journey to the furthest boundaries of thought, where walls stand to contain what you think of as known reality. Imagine now, discovering that these walls are nothing but thoughts, made up to limit your experience as conscious being. These walls, when seen, crumble into the sea of nothing from whence they came, revealing what we refer to here as the Miracle Soup. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Miracle Soup with your host, Christoph Heinen. Yeah, so I've had this idea to um, sort of include some solo shows in between the guest appearances and... um, I think that's a good time to answer questions um, from listeners and also sort of um, just to share story about the insights um, that I've been having. And and today's show specifically is something I want to talk about because I've already sort of really talked this up a lot to my friends, okay, in my community, um, to the point where maybe I need to hold back a little bit. It's kind of like on the verge of bragging, you know, uh, toot my own horn a little bit. That being said, I ran the San Francisco Marathon uh, Sunday the 28th. It was my first marathon, and it was such an incredible experience. I feel like I I need to record it. I need to put it down and and put it out there to uh, the Miracle Soup audience um, just to sort of wrap it up. I'll stop talking about it to all my friends and family. Okay, I get I get it, guys. Just, some eyes are starting to roll, you know what I mean? But um, that was an amazing experience. I, I went into that race thinking I might maybe get a four and a half hour time, you know, if I finished at all. Like I was shooting for like, oh, wow, it'd be good. I was probably gonna get like five hours. But I'm thinking, man, you know, it'd be cool if I get <laughs> four and a half hours. Like that was my goal, right? And I'm telling you, um, I finished that, I crossed that finish line at three hours and 47 minutes, which is two minutes shy of qualifying for Boston. I had no clue that was in me. And this is the reason that I'm not saying like, I'm so great and I'm not wanting to share this story to really like boost my ego, but it's more the... It's like, to me, that was a miracle. It fits in with the miracle. Like that came out of the wall of limited thinking that is set up. It came out from somewhere else. And what was it that came out? It was this, this inner resource, this, uh, I call it the beast. And um, yeah, I, I just, I just want to, I want to share that. Um, I was in LA with my partner at the time and uh, we were there for Thanksgiving and I just was thinking like seeing people running around and thinking like LA it's so trendy and people like being fit so maybe I'll start going for a jog right and then it felt really good and I got home kept going for jogs and then uh, a buddy of mine told me one day this was in early January he's like oh my god did you listen to the David Goggins podcast holy crap 
that's so incredible, dude, this guy, you've got to check him out, man. He's like ran like hundred mile race, like every month or every week for so long. He's a Navy SEAL and he did three hell weeks. And blah, blah, blah. So I checked out David Goggins and man, that, that dude, I got his book and everything. And that dude really like lit a fire under my feet. And, um, I started running and then I talked to my brother, my bro, Max, down in Florida and he's like because I know he's done a number of marathons and he was really into it for a while and even did a couple ultras and and I talked to him and he's like dude let's do this let's do a marathon I'll come out to San Francisco and we'll do a marathon <laughs> yeah he does sound like that he's like very excited so so we're talking and I'm like all right Max he's like dude you gotta commit are you gonna commit and I was like I'm gonna commit Max we're gonna do this marathon this will be sweet I'm scared but we can do it and he's like, okay. So I get off the phone. I go right to the San Francisco Marathon website. I sign up and I take a screenshot. Next morning, I send it to him. Crickets, man. I don't hear nothing back from Max for a week. <laughs> Finally, maybe a week and a half. I just, I just put down money on this marathon. I'm like all stoked. Week and a half later or so, Max calls me. Yeah, man, uh... Max, I love you, by the way. Yeah, man, it's like, you know, I'm kind of fat now and I've got a baby and it's like, it's going to be really hard for me to like make this happen. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough, whatever. I get it. When you have a baby, it's probably better to be with your baby and to provide for your kids. So there's no judgment there at all, Max. I love you, buddy. But I just kind of had to train for this thing and Started training real hard, doing 10-mile runs a few times a week, which was a big deal for me. And then, you know, I went uh, about three months in the spring, late winter to spring, where I just gave up and I didn't train and I was hardly running. You know, finally a good friend of mine told me I, I was doing it no matter what. He held me accountable. I started training again. got fired up. Uh had some really good help, some from really great insp inspiring teachers and, and sort of coaches who just appeared, you know, out of the, the woodwork of my community. And come race day, I was feeling actually pretty prepared. I'd done some, I'd done a couple of 20 mile runs, um, a lot of hills here in Nevada City. So I had a good training with that, a lot of resistance training. I get to the marathon uh, and I get to San Francisco that night. I'm staying with a buddy who I knew from prison and um, yeah, I got about two hours of sleep. I think that night I was so wired and so jacked and there was this huge light outside the window, you know, in the city, it's like really hard to find darkness anywhere. So I was super just sleep deprived and get up at four 30, you know, I made my butter coffee, um, did a little Wim Hof breathing and then I got on my bike and rode down to the starting line and on Barcadero. So I get there and I'd heard there was a, a bike valet and it's like five o'clock race times at five 30. I'm looking for the bike valet. Can't find it anywhere. People keep telling me, Oh, it's right behind those tents. And I'm just not seeing it crowd everywhere. It's super hard to navigate. The clock is ticking. I finally, I finally find it. There's like 15 minutes till race time. I still need to get my number, you know, my bib. So I asked somebody, where do you get your bib? And he said, you're supposed to have gotten it yesterday. Oh my God, are you serious? So I find this other long line to get bibs at the last second and there are the people are like frantically trying to get everything together. 
and I get, and I get my babe finally, you know, there's a few minutes left. I still got to check in my stuff, my cell phone and my wallet and my uh, camelback that I'm not going to run with. Do that. There's like two minutes left. Get to the starting line just in time for the national anthem. And like, I start crying. <laughs> I'm a crier. I was getting so emotional. I thought it was so amazing. Like all these people showing up to run, like all these people finding it inside of their hearts, inside of themselves to, to run a race, you know, to like, to, to push themselves 26.2 miles around this beautiful city, all coming together. It was just overwhelming energy. It was, it was unlike anything I've ever experienced. So been two or whatever, finally we move up to the starting line. Man, there's so many people and the horn goes off and we start going and it's on, man, it's on. And I'd heard, you know, some of my mentors and elder elders in the community had reminded me, hey, Christoph, you know, don't do it for the time. Just do it for the fun and do it to finish the race. This is your first marathon. Don't, don't put yourself up to like this expectation that you should be able to get a great time or whatever. Just do it for the experience. Your first one, you'll learn a lot and just finish the race. doesn't matter if you have to crawl, finish. So I'm like, okay, so I'm kind of like just taking my time up on Barcadero through Fisherman's Wharf and we're coming closer to uh, Golden Gate Bridge and I'm not really pushing myself. I'm just keeping it probably probably like nine, nine and a half minute pace or something even. Um, and then we get to Golden Gate Bridge and it's just so beautiful with the sun rising over the, over the shore and everything, over the bay. And I'm like, God, this is beautiful. And I was spending a lot of time at this point sort of keeping myself paced with other people and wondering a lot about what other people were doing. Had they run other marathons? Were they going to be faster? Were they going to blow me out of the water? Um, <clears throat> what were they wearing? Why was that one guy not wearing shoes? That's pretty cool. Um, why is the other guy wearing these kinds of shoes? Um, wow, look at that person's hair tied back like that. I mean, just like a lot of distraction and comparing myself and trying to check in to, to find my place in this race, you know? So Golden Gate Bridge was amazing, and I was really kind of going slow there. Looking back at, my, at the race statistics, yeah, that was pretty slow. Across Golden Gate Bridge, and we're like coming into Golden Gate Park, and at one point there was this, this downhill. And it wasn't a drastic downhill. It was just like a nice slopey, you know, maybe, a, make me a, maybe like a half a mile, three-quarter mile slope, half mile. And and right before this downhill, I'd seen a sign that said uh, it was um, <laughs> it was like something like "Unleash the Beast," you know, like "You are a beast." It was a sign for somebody else, but "You are a beast, Trisha," or whatever. And I'm like, "Whoa, beast!" Yeah, something about that word kind of resonated. I'm like, "I'm a beast!" Holy shit! So like, we got to this downhill, and I started like I really picked up my pace. I started blowing past people. I was like, "This is easy. My body really wants to move fast. I'm just gonna let it do its thing." I found that pace and that that pace and that sign, you're a beast, kind of like clicked something in me. And I started really taking off. Plus, this was around mile maybe 10 or 12 at this point. So I knew I was getting close to halfway. And also, I'd been drinking these uh, electrolyte drinks, right? And these electrolyte drinks were given out every few miles. And 
I was noticing that the pain in my legs that I normally got on my runs wasn't there. The electrolytes were really helping. It really made a marked difference. So I'm getting these electrolyte drinks. I'm cruising. I had like a little almond butter packet that I get, almond butter and dates and stuff, like little squeezy packet. And I'm like running faster. I got my pace going. And that beast thing kept going on in me. I was like, I'm entering beast mode here. I kept telling myself, this is beast mode. <laughs> I started flying. I started going faster and faster. And then, uh, yeah, mile maybe 14 or so. I had a little 100 milligrams of caffeine. So this was the second dose of caffeine of the day. And I took that, that, I took that and that really kicked in, got my pace even going faster. And I started looking at my watch and I'm think, thinking, whoa, I could, I could probably do this in less than four and a half hours. And then a few minutes later, I could probably finish this in less than four hours. Like, wow, I'm, I'm moving here. And then, you know, there's 16 miles left and I'm thinking, well, I could maybe finish this thing in like less time. Like, let's see where this can go. And I just kept my pace going really fast. Kept going in this, in this beast mode voice kept coming in. And, and what I realized was I was literally accessing this inner beast, this demon. And it was this energy that I've known all my life. And this is the profound part. This energy I've known all my life as something that I needed to suppress. It was something that, that, that caused me to be unsure and shaky. It, uh, it was the same energy that drove me to uh, smoke way too much weed or, um, or, you know, indulge in totally unsafe and um, out of integrity sexual activities. Uh, it's the same beast energy that that would bring me down in, in like crippling depression in my life. Uh, it's the same energy that's caused me um, probably just to do really radical, stupid, high-risk things like, you know, manage a huge ganja grow and get busted by the SWAT team back in 09. I mean, it's like, it was just like flashing through me, this energy that I've not acknowledged like my whole life, all of a sudden, like started coming out and working for me because I, I just kept like acknowledging it. And it was like, it had a place to like spread its, its wings and, and exist in my body. And, and it like gave me so much energy and I, I'm just like running faster and faster. And I started locking in with this energy and sort of like talking to it and, and noticing it was, it was like something like a part of me that hasn't been acknowledged or even respected for so long, maybe ever. And I was thinking about all like all the fuck ups in my life and, and, and the out outbursts that I've, I've had, you know, you know, around, around, um, my kids or, or partners just like getting angry and, and, and lose my cool. You know, that was this beast energy. Um, this beast energy manifested as just like so many things, making so many mistakes. And, and it is, it's like, it's like the, the demon that Paul was talking about. The demon turns into the daimon when you begin to utilize that power and, and, and use that power and apply that power. And that power had free range and I really needed that power in this race. 
because 26.2 miles is, is, is a lot of running, you know, that's, that's a lot. So there we go. I'm starting to think I'm a beast and I start getting like really into it. I'm like, I'm a motherfucking beast. And I'm like, and it was like this beast had a free reign just to like be totally itself because it was just running. And I, I'm just like blowing by people. I look at my watch. It's getting, it's like I could finish this thing maybe in what, what my brother told me. He's like, yeah, I finished my fastest marathon in like three hours and 45 minutes. So I'm thinking, holy shit, maybe I could beat Max. And I just took off, man. And 10 miles left, I just really picked it up. Five miles left, I really picked it up. Two miles left, I picked it up. Final sprint on Embarcadero. I was just hauling ass. And it was kind of like surprising for me to see that there were all these people around who were, you know, like really focusing on their cell phones. Maybe they were texting. Maybe they were trying to get uh, like a new song on their iPod or whatever. Um, I don't run plugged in it. And, and also they're like chatting with each other or something, just kind of taking their time. And I was just like in total beast mode. I couldn't understand why anyone wasn't else in beast mode. And I was just like blowing by like the crowds of people. And, um, and that brought up the other main sort of lesson was that once I entered beast mode, I didn't, you know, I, I noticed that I couldn't focus on what other people were doing so much. It was just, there was no time for that. I realized that I'm running my race and they're running their race and it's fine if they're on cell phones and fine if they're slow and everything's fine. There's no judgment and I'm running my race and I'm with my breath and I'm, and I'm in control of my thoughts because I noticed that when I started thinking about other things in my life, situations or what this person's doing or, um, you know, whatever it was, I, I lost energy. I lost focus. And I would slow down and I couldn't keep that, that, um, momentum. So it was about running my race. It's like, this is a race with, with Kristoff. And, um, the more I focused in, the more energy I got and the more that beast could, could, uh, be acknowledged and, and, um, and that power could be accessed. So I'm like flying. And then by the finish line, I just was like full on sprinting and I crossed it. I couldn't believe the race was done. I was so emotional. Like I was crying again and, uh, <laughs> um, just wanted to puke and like sat down and, you know, gave high fives to people and stuff. And I got my banana and my little peach cup and I got my medal and, you know, I was stoked to go. It was a really, it was a really profound experience. I learned, um, first of all, I accessed like spiritual states of ecstasy that I've, I've never achieved without, you know, without drugs or maybe in the presence of a guru or something. I mean, it was just, it was really like profound mystical experience for me to run that race. And also, and also the beast mode, you know, I, 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 I've met that inner demon and I know that I can use that energy instead of using it for harmful ways, whether it's, you know, lashing out at people, you know, I'm just being really vulnerable here. You know, like I'm not a perfect spiritual Buddha. You know, I, I have my shit. I've, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've done hurtful things. I'm not proud of it. I try to be, I try to do my best. I try to be calm, peaceful. I'd say most people see me as someone who's really calm and peaceful. Like even when I was in prison, they'd call me like, what was I, the, the Zen, the Zen master or something. Cause everyone's like, dude, you're so calm and like happy. And 
yeah, that that's that's part of me. And also there's a demon that when it's not acknowledged and the energy isn't resourced properly, it really gets um and get messy, you know, with addiction, you know, whether it's just too much Netflix and, and overeating, um, whether it's smoking too much weed, you know, whether it's taking too many mushrooms, anything, anything to like to mask that energy because it's so raw and, and primordial. Um, lashing out at people I love, you know, whatever. Um, meeting that energy gives me gave me this breakthrough that that energy can be, it can be used. And, and I feel like this podcast also, I've said this before and I'm going to say it again, is an example of, or it's a, another channel to, to, to funnel that, that demonic raw beast mode, <laughs> you know, and, and just the, 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 um, the discipline of showing up and making these episodes and putting energy into it and keeping it as authentic as I can and as real and continuing to grow and facing the obstacles and facing the, um, the criticisms from other people and whatever it is, you know, <laughs> just keep going. It's like, yeah, yeah, it might be hard. It might be hard, but you keep going. And this energy will we'll thank you for it by rewarding you with, with like awesome marathon time or or a, a satisfaction in your heart that you've actually created something that's that's a value to other people. And so it's really about about channeling this the shadow, this this daimon daimonic energy. I hope that makes sense. Um that was that's that yeah, that's my marathon story. Um of course, once I got done and I saw I was 347 and my and then Max analyzed the whole marathon for me, you know, he's he's just like breaking my mile he's like dude you got a 12 minute mile pretty much at mile six and if you didn't do that you would have qualified for boston and what was that it was golden gate man i was looking at the sun and i was like it was kind of slow with all the people kind of crowded on that sidewalk there and it was so gorgeous and the mist and the sun golden sun like burning the mist over the bay like jesus it was so gorgeous but yeah 12 minute mile ouch I would have easily beaten 345 if I had just kept a pace there. But you know what? It was my first race, people, and I'm going to do another one. And I don't see myself slowing down much. Um, so, so yeah, that was sweet. So, of course, like instantly, once once you do a race, you, I think it's human nature to look back and to think, like, how could I have done better? How could I go a little faster? How could I? And there's so many ways. Probably just access beast mode earlier. Now that I know that I don't have to compare myself to other people, that I, that I am sort of I have, a, I have achieved some sort of a beast most beast mode badass um, ranking at least within myself, I have the confidence that I can uh, start at a at a quicker pace and and uh, make that race a Boston qualifier and then get to Boston and see where it goes from there. My next race on the docket so far is uh, Castro Valley, October 19th. I've got a 50 mile, my first ultra. So I'm training and just and just feeling good and keeping focused. And uh, the, the, the marathon, you know, 26.2, it's, it's a long distance, but I know that I knew that I could do it. I knew that is totally within my grasp. And the 50 mile, that's something where I, I, I'm pushed, like just in my, in my thinking. That's where some miracle soup's got to like seep in because... That's daunting. That's 
that's two, that's two marathons. So that's running another marathon after I just did, which I, I feel pretty good about, you know, not as confident, but that'll come with training and, uh, and mindset. So, so thanks. That's, that's my marathon story in a nutshell. I hope that you get something out of that story. It was just, um, it was profound, um, you know, to acknowledge this, this inner, this, this inner demon, like I don't know what else to call it, the beast, the beast inside. It's like in all these Marvel, um, these Marvel movies, like for example, Venom, that was a really good one where there's this alien living inside the dude, you know, I thought that was so profound and, and they had to learn how to coexist within the same body and the same mind in order for the superpower to emerge. And once the superpower emerged and they were integrated, then like they became a superhero because, um, they were helping people. So I think the the demon, the Watiko that Paul talked about and has sort of been a theme in the podcast, really, this is like a practical, practical example of how that gets integrated um, by putting that energy, integrating it and putting it into the work for good, for, um, for good for the world. How is the marathon for good for the world? Well, I always, I always, before any race, any run that I do, I always offer the run to the, the peace and happiness and well-being of all beings. I think that's per, that's an important piece of it for me because that allows me to, um, it gives some meaning and purpose to why I'm doing this, you know. And then I finish the race and I and I I share about it and I hear a lot of good feedback and I hear how much. Uh, I've inspired others, you know, people, some of my good friends are already wanting to do marathons with me and how great would that be? More people doing marathons. I think it's awesome. It's so empowering. You get so healthy training for a marathon alone, the amount of mental discipline and the transformation that occurs within your mind and your, and your being is profound to take something like that on, to accept any challenge where you think it's going to be hard and painful and you might not make it, but but, but you find that strength, you find that desire within yourself to rise to a challenge and then you grow as a person. And then with, with that growth, you have more to offer people and it's a beautiful sadhana and it's a beautiful meditation and it's a beautiful way to serve in this world. So with that, thank you so much. That was the marathon story of the San Francisco Biofreeze Marathon 2019. So now it's time to answer a question from one of our listeners. This came from Mr. Mike Robinson, good pal of mine from back in Michigan. Um, he's obviously been on the path for a while now. He's really into uh, uh, Theravada Buddhism, been meditating, and um, and just and just enjoying the podcast. So I'm really stoked he reached out to me, and, he, and I'm going to share uh, his question here or his his uh, recommendation. I have been really digging the podcast theme of how the self-centered drama is ultimately the fuel for human suffering. It would be interesting to hear more about your experience in bypassing or relating to the self-centered drama that seems deeply programmed into the human experience. Okay, so it'd be interesting to hear more about your experience in bypassing relating to the self-centered drama that seems deeply programming. It's like the mind stream is playing constantly and we are the central character of the story on an endless search for sanctification, but there often seems little alternative and it's so addictive to be tuned into the experience. We literally feed on it. Yes, exactly. We do, don't we? It's an addiction and it's an addiction to the self. 
and a good friend of mine, Paul Hederman. I mean, not a good friend. I mean, I've met him a few times. I don't I just consider everyone my friend. So sometimes I say good friend, uh, Louise Hay or whatever, but uh, it's because I relate with them and I feel like they're my friends. I'm sure we would be friends in real life if, if we ever met, but um, Paul and I have met. He does these amazing talks in San Francisco, kind of coming out of the um, the recovery community um, and it's sort of blended with like Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta, but you know, his thing, he calls it selfing. It's a verb. It's this like addiction to constantly reinforcing the separate self. And yeah, that's the whole root. Bruce talks about this, talked about this on Monday, on the Monday episode, but it's this constant like churning and reinforcing this dream character of a separate self. And dude, that's the root of suffering. That's what Ramana Maharshi said. He said, all suffering can be boiled down to the one belief that you are separate from all of creation, from God. And, you know, it, it's tough, but, but with practice, you know, we can become aware of when we're, we're like feeding. It's exactly right. We're literally feeding this entity, this made up entity that we're a separate individual. And then with this idea of a separate individual, there comes a whole sort of like story, right? A litany of, of stories uh, to support this, this character. There's the whole idea of time, all of the past things that this character has done, all the future things that could happen to this character. And it's all like this big construct and it's a feeding ground literally for all of this confusion and negativity because with this character being attached to the past and the future, there's guilt and, and regret and guilt, tons of guilt in the past. And the future is like tons of fear for what could happen. It's just terrifying. And you have this big, like really unhealthy stew of guilt and fear just churning around. And the individual is this made up thing that basically is like getting crucified all the time because it's got to live up to all these expectations placed upon it by other seeming individual characters and and what uh and what Paul kind of says which is cool is that this character it's not like it's not really real it's imagined it's a dream character it's being dreamt so so therein lies the like the antidote really if attention and, and you know also Joe Dispenza there's a little community here of, of people who enjoy his work and we do meditations, you know, and it's really great. And his, his work, like one of the main themes is you come back again to this no self. You drop the past, you drop the future, Eckhart Tolle, present moment. You drop these things and then and, and you become um, embodied more into a sense of like spacious, just awareness of just like a presence instead of a presence inside of a conditioned character who is like set up for who is a bad person or is a great person like either either description isn't accurate um there's just presence really and there's presence operating through every single form individual form in this reality in this world and of course a miracle says that when you free other people you know of your judgment and of your labeling them as a certain thing then you're liberating them and you're liberating yourself from your own false identification to a separate individual self.
the feeding. Uh, Mike, Mike said it's like, let's see, what do you say? I gotta open my phone again. It's like, we literally feed on it. But what I would ask Mike Robinson is, what is it that's literally feeding on it? You know, because what we really are, you know, if this is a made up dream character, then what we really are is the awareness, the presence, the soul, right? But it's the fake self that feeds on it. And this fake self, it's almost like a hijack. It's like we think we are this individual. We are so hypnotized and convinced that we're like this separate thing, that we're this, just this body. And, and all of this um, selfing, the constant storytelling of what we are as a body, as a person who's 39 years old or 67 years old or however old this body is, that's who we are. And we, we dropped out of school and we weren't good enough, but we did this other good thing. And like, you know, like Christoph Heinen ran a marathon and he dropped out of college and, you know, really pissed a lot of people off and really made a lot of people happy and all this conglomeration. It's like that feeding can, and, and he's going to do this and become this great thing, or he's going to fuck up and his life's going to tank. All these stories literally are just investing stories and putting more energy into the false, the false individual. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with having a false individual. It's like, that's the ego. Like we have to have some kind of like individuated personality because we're here on earth and we have, we do have bodies that are kind of separate from others, you know, seemingly or whatever, but we need to, it's like the, there's so much suffering when it's, when it's all concentrated on that individual. And there's a lot of talk right now about narcissism. And, and I think that's what narcissism is. It's, it's when there's just too much focus. There's too much story. There's too much identification, too much hypnotized, um, trance-like, you know, dream, dreaming going on that this person is like the center of the universe and it's all there is and it's so important when really if, if you zoom out and just take a look at like the spaciousness, just the, the, the presence, because when you're just present, like there's nothing really else it's not so important that you're an individual with a past and a future. When you're involved in something, when you enter flow state, like in the running, you know, part of what really access that energy once the beast mode came on was not thinking about my past or my future, not fantasizing about what I was going to do after the race, not thinking about how I fucked up in the past, um, getting guilt and fear all the way and just being present with with the breath, you know, and just the experience of being in that moment. So it, it, it and, and that opened up all this energy, and it's the same with like we could go through our lives that way by taking a little bit of the story, the investment in all these stories about ourselves. It's like neurotic spinning, looping, loopy de doopy spinning of the mind convincing itself over and over that it's this person but it's just it's just made up people and so you know mike i'm sure you know this, this is what meditation is all about you, you begin to take your attention off of this take your attention off of this uh, investment in a false self which is like just doomed to death and 
and basically suffering. And without it, there's just this sky that is emptiness and pure and always there. And, and, and that's the sky and that's the place where I believe, you know, Byron Katie is. That's where Eckhart Tolle, that's what they found. That's what some of these great, great masters, Ama and, and whoever else, you know, you like. It's like they're more identified with the true self. They're not so, they're not wrapped up in their heads about who did them wrong and who, what they're going to do in the future to get it more right and da 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 And they're just more into just being the spaciousness and seeing that spaciousness and just like embodying that spaciousness and helping other people enter that spaciousness. So uh, Mike says, it would be interesting to hear more about your experience in bypassing or relating to self-centered drama. Well, yeah, my experience is it's just caused endless suffering. And as I enter flow states and become more aware through this podcast and the, and the guests and through reading and through meditating and Joe Dispenza's work has been just incredibly helpful lately, um, that there's profound freedom and profound healing and profound help, <laughs> relief of suffering in, in dropping the story, you know, Bruce, same thing, the sky of awareness, the heart coming to the heart the field of the field of awareness and my experience yeah it's it's like when you are so um, caught up in the false identity you're just gonna continue to do stupid shit to reinforce that truth like I realized recently like I I had uh, you know this experience and I was so I felt so bad about it and I kept thinking like I'm such a piece of shit I hate myself so much all the self-loathing right I'm like, God, I just hate myself. I'm so guilty. How could I do this? Why would I, why would I even live any longer, you know? But what I did was I called a friend who had been a heroin meth. He used to mix the two together and shoot it up. And he used to tell me stories about how some of the things he did on the streets. He would go and steal old ladies' purses and, you know, really offhanded sexual experiences and stealing and all that kind of thing. Like for years, just really bottom of the barrel kind of stuff. I was like, dude, how do you, how, how did you get on with your life, man? What do you, what do you do? How do you forgive yourself? And he said to me, he's like, dude, you got to, you have to forgive yourself or you're going to continue to do that shit. And you're going to continue to beat yourself up and you're not going to be doing anyone any good and you're human and you fuck up and we all fuck up and you got to move on. So hearing that was really powerful for me. And, and I did, I got it. I realized, dude, it's that belief when I, if I'm going to keep telling myself and believing that I'm a piece of shit, that I'm worthless, that I deserve nothing. And at the time I was living like in a trailer with rats, like homeless, pretty much homeless totally I was in a trailer with rats at a friend's house like it's really gnarly time and if I'd kept and I had to forgive myself I just had to at least say to myself I'm willing to forgive myself what I did was wrong you know it was um it was wrong and if I don't forgive myself I'm going to keep repeating shit to, 
to prove that. And I started, I, I was like looking back at my life and all the mistakes I made, you know, getting busted by growing, going to jail and how that impacted my family. And, you know, having my first divorce when I was like m my later thirties and, and, uh, dropping out of college and all these things I'm just not really super proud of. And it's all been like this core belief that I, I, I'm a piece of shit. I'm not good enough. It's all like this self-centered selfing. And once I realize, because forgiveness is really acknowledging that that's who, not who you are, that that's a, just a belief pattern, a made up belief pattern that's sort of living in sync with the false identity, with the false ego, the, with the real ego, but the false individual, right? And all this guilt reinforces that it's just the greatest food for the for the for the for the fake entity. So so that yeah, Mike, it's not like we really feed on it. It's our egos that feed on it. It's the false self feeds on on this these stories and, and our mistakes and the guilt and the fear. It literally feeds on it. But what we really are does not feed on it. What we really are doesn't need to feed. What we really are is is the presence of life itself. And that is always giving its source. It doesn't need anything. Nothing can be given to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. It doesn't need anything. Like our bodies need food, right, to survive. But like the truth of what we are as non-physical, as non-local, as awareness, as presence, it can't feed. It can't get any food. It doesn't need food. It's always self-generating, self-giving. It's always creating so being willing at least to forgive is forgiveness is letting go of the guilt. Forgiveness is affirming the truth of what we really are as presence. So Mike, I hope you heard that. I hope that helped. I hope I was clear because that was really fun to talk about. And I'm going to leave it at that. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't hit the subscribe button, please do so. I am eager and excited about building um, a tribe, a community to like help each other awaken. Mike, your question was so helpful. That was like directly um, fired something off of me and it's being shared with other people. And like, that's a great service. And so I think the more that we can create these um, media channels to awaken people, I think that's a great service. It's not like we've got to like be doing this all day or whatever, but this is a way to serve. This is a way to unwind our minds and to be free from suffering and to create harmony, you know, and like love for the future generations, which is what we're all about. So go ahead, hit that review button, leave a review or a subscribe button, leave a review and, uh, let me know your questions sir. so so for the next um solo show we can we can address them thanks everybody so much and have a beautiful day basking and plunging deep into the miracle soup that is the source truth presence reality that we are love you guys all the best <laughs>